Jesus, come join us in our journey as we seek your will for this community and this environment. Teach us to love each other as you love us, to give ourselves as you give yourself, that the kingdom of God might be made present to all. Amen. So these readings we have for this second Sunday in Lent present us with two stories about responses to God's call. In reading from Genesis, we heard how God's call to Abram and how he responded in faith. And we also see as a result of that call, the relationship between God and his people is established in a covenant as Abram calls on the name of the Lord. We also heard the famous Nick at Night episode from John's Gospel where Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night to seek to interrogate him about his particular ministry. And Jesus presents him with this opportunity to be born from above, which Nicodemus has a little time struggling with that by how he can be born again, as we say. But Jesus really meant born from above, being born by the spirit and by born by water. And so we have this particular situation. We have faith on one part. We got a little doubt by Nicodemus on the other. Last week's readings, we learned that doubt is one of the chief weapons of Satan as he tries to use us in his war and the relationship we have with our God. He's always good with that doubt thing. Did God really say? Yes, he did. And I heard him clearly. So we have to be full of faith in responding to him when he tries to throw that little doubt game at us. And so we see this story about Abram where God comes to him and calls him out of his country of, to go to a place that he will show him. And the story, the Bible tells us that he got everything together, gathered up his goods, the people that were with him, and he went off to follow where God had led him. And so we see that as an act of faith because most of the time we don't want to pack up and move. I mean, in the society of that day, I mean, you stayed together with the family. Everything is all built around the family and where you own property and where you have all your goods and everything like that. And you stay there, basically. But to get a call from God and then tell him to go to this place that he didn't even know, that's an act of faith. And so we, God tells to him that he will make him a great nation. He responds in faith to become a nation. And to be a nation, we need three things. Uh, one, people, okay, uh, land, and then laws to govern that land. And so we see here that Abram did not have any children at that time. And so the people part of that equation is a little short. Later, after many years of living in the land, Abram became very rich, but he still had no children. God appears to him again, and in the 15th chapter, we have this episode recorded. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so my servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, then this, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord. A very key verse. Genesis 15, 6, Abram believed the Lord and he credited him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give this land to take possession of it. But he said, oh Lord, how can I know that I will take possession of it? 
So the Lord said, bring me a heifer, a ram, and a goat, each three years old, along with a dove and a pigeon. Now take note of that. Three animals, each three years old. God is into that Trinity stuff. Right there. And so they did. And so God made a covenant. He told him then, uh, kill the animals. You know, we whack them in half, put the two pieces on the ground. So there are six pieces on the ground. And the story is, in those days, when you made a covenant with someone, you know, when we buy a house these days, you know, how much paperwork is there involved? I mean, a lot, okay? I sold houses, bought a house. I mean, it's like a lot of paperwork. But in that day, when you had a covenant with someone, uh, you took an animal, whack it in half, put it apart, and then the two parties then walk between the pieces, okay? Hold each other's hand, walk between the pieces, okay? I will keep my part of the bargain, okay? I will give you this house. You give me how many thousands of dollars? Okay, good. Just walk between the pieces and the deal is done. That's the way a covenant was made in those days. So it says that then, you know, birds of prey came down on the carcasses, which is natural, of course, that's their job, okay? And of course, Abram shooed them away. He's sitting by the side, and then a darkness came down, it got dark, and then it says, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch passed between the pieces. Now, I usually ask my students when they go through this, I said, what that? <laughs> what that going on there? That was God. Exactly. Smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. Now, I'll be honest with you, folks. Okay? I've been, I've been teaching this, the Bible for a long time. Okay? And that smoking fire pot and the blazing torch. I knew it was God, but I just couldn't get the drift of what was going on with the smoking fire pot. And then one day at this service we were doing, because when it's like, when I was at Atonement, we did smoking, the smoking fire pot, the thurible on Christmas and Easter. And then it hit, then it hit me. There was the thurible preceding God, the blazing torch. He loves that incense, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. I used to tell folks that don't like incense, okay, uh, what would you like, incense or brimstone? Okay, choice is yours. But here's the issue. Okay, God passes between the pieces and makes the covenant with Abram. Okay, Abram does not do anything in this deal. Later on, he'll get to that on chapter 17 of the Genesis when he has to go through the circumcision exercise. But here's the issue. God makes this covenant with Abram and it's in God's plans. And of course, Abram is in faith going along with this thing. So, God's bequest, his request to Abram kind of reminds us of God's legacy of love. When we think of God, the first words that come to mind are father, love, care, concern, compassion, and the like. John, writing in his first epistle, very succinctly summarizes the Lord's legacy when he wrote, Theo esti agape, God is love. When God called Abraham into this covenant relationship, he promised to give him more than he deserved or dared to dream. Second thing, Abraham's belief in God's bequest reminds us to faithfully embrace the Lord's legacy of love. God promised Abraham, look at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. And his thing was to believe the Lord. He believed him. I mean, God can read our minds. So he knew it exactly when he believed him. The brother, trust me. (laughs) 
He believes what I just told him. And so therefore, God connected himself up with him and we did the covenant ceremony with him. He believed it and he credited him as righteousness. And so therefore, in that belief structure, he then connected himself with God, had confidence in God, and he did not doubt God's faithfulness to him. That's the thing about faith. Faith, as Frederick Bickner says, is like going on a journey without a map when you're dealing with God. Abraham left his home country and he departed to a place that God showed him. So faith is not management by objectives. Faith is not an inflexible set of mission goals. Faith is stepping out of the boat. Faith is walking with Jesus. Faith is getting into the wheelbarrow. Faith is reaching for the hand of the Holy Spirit to lead you through all these things. Now, the wheelbarrow thing, I'm pretty sure you're not familiar with. So I'm going to explain that to you. There was a man who came to the United States from France in 1859. His name was uh, Francois Gravelet, but he called himself the Great Blondin. And what he did, he did a Nicolawenda thing, okay? He went and stretched the high wire across the Niagara River, okay, and walked across on this high wire, okay? And the crowds were just hooping and hollering. They'd never seen anything like that before. So he walked across and he came back and then he asked the crowd, does anybody here believe that I can push a wheelbarrow across this wire? And they said, yeah, we believe it, we believe it. Can I get a volunteer to sit in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> Obviously he didn't get a volunteer. So if we believe something, do we get in the wheelbarrow? When we believe we have trust, and when we have trust, that's faith. And so God asks us to get in the wheelbarrow with him when things are going that he wants to get done. God's blessing of Abraham's belief reminds us that the Lord's legacy of love is felt and experienced by the faithful. By the faithful. We have a deep feeling that there is not many people out there who can really be trusted sometimes with our own hearts and souls and minds and bodies. But God said to Abraham, trust me. And that's what God says to him, to us. And every time, trust him, trust him. Abraham did, Abraham was blessed. God took his faith and he blessed him. Abraham believed the Lord and it was credit to him as righteousness. You know, we know this, we understand that credit thing, don't we? I mean, after all, we got this little piece of plastic in our wallets. When we go to the store, okay, we buy something, we give them the plastic, okay, and they trust us, they credit, our account, okay, to take the goods, and then it goes on our account, of course, that we're going to pay them later. So God, when we believe God, he credits that to us as righteousness because he says, you're going to show me later on, okay, that you're going to follow what I tell you. The definition of faith, as it's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So belief in or a confident attitude toward God involving a commitment to his will for our life. That's what he wants, a commitment from us. The prophet Habakkuk taught us that the just shall live by his faith. In the New Testament, faith covers various levels of personal commitment. Paul, writing in his letter to the Romans, talks about that. The fact is that God took Abraham's faith and he credited him as that righteousness. And without the faith is the thing that drives us forward. 
Saving faith is a personal commitment of one's life to God and following Christ and his obedience to his commands. As Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Faith is part of the Christian life from beginning to end. So, doctrinal points from this. Number one, God's call often comes unexpectedly. Abraham was called to go and move away to a land where he had no inheritance. Nicodemus was being called to a new relationship late that night when he met Jesus. The follower of Jesus must be in continual receive mode, have our ears on, be ready to hear God's call. Number two, God's call means a change in our lives. The move would mean a complete change for Abraham and he didn't know where he would end up. Nicodemus was being called to a new life. Therefore, the follower of Jesus must be flexible, okay, and ready to move in the direction God dictates. Number three, God calls and asks for a decisive response. Abram had to make a decide if he would obey God or not. Nicodemus had to decide if he would answer the call or not. The follower of Jesus must be capable of making a decision to respond. I was ordained a deacon this next Thursday will be 34 years ago. And I thought for all intents and purposes that I was going to be a deacon and that was it. Okay. And then I got involved with prison ministry. And of course, as clergy, we got to do one-on-ones with the inmates and I heard a lot of stuff. Trust me, I've heard a lot of things. And I got to believe that, you know, I think I need to be a priest in all this. Okay? And so I tried to make the decision that maybe I should go for the priesthood. And so that would mean, of course, going to seminary. And I thought to myself, told my wife, I said that we gotta sell the house, pack up. <laughs> okay, I'm going to seminary. And she took a dim view of that at the time. Said, can't you study at home? I said, come on, girl. You can't be studying at home. Are you kidding me? She, so then she said these words. I'm going to pray about that. <laughs> okay? I should have known when my wife, my wife started praying about something, things were going to change. Lo and behold, about a, about a half a year later, after I made this decision, um, I was trying to figure out how could, I, how could I study at home and go to seminary. That's not going to be hard, hard to do. Labor Day weekend. 1991. There's a newspaper on my driveway. What's the big deal about that? I stopped the paper six months ago. So I said, oh, well. It was a Saturday morning paper, okay? So I went out there, picked the paper up, called the Chronicle, said, hey, I'm not paying for this. And they said, that's okay, Mr. Miller, keep the paper. I said, okay, thanks. So I go back in the house, and I open it up, turn to the religious page, scanning to see what's on the religious page, and down there, a little, a little tiny ad that said, Erskine Theological Seminary, Classes at University Hospital. Hmm, that's interesting. So I kind of like blew it off. Ah, what's the big deal about that? But I did go and check on them to make sure that they were a legal seminary. Okay. They said, yeah, it's an authorized seminary of the, of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church in Due West, South Carolina. I said, ah, oh well. The next Saturday is another paper on my driveway. Uh-oh. <laughs> I thought about getting in, in the fleece. I said, let me look at this again. Sure enough, they were starting a meeting down there at, at University Hospital the, the following week. 
So I went, found that, checked into it. I said, maybe this won't be too bad after all. And so I signed up and I started taking classes, okay? And I had to decide, you know, uh, I'll see what, I, what comes out of all this. I contacted my bishop, Bishop Ships, and the, uh, the, and the chairman of the Commission on Ministry, Father Carter. Um, they uh, sent me a letter and said, we prefer that you go to one of our seminaries, okay? So when you decide to retire and go to our seminaries, let us know. Well, that was kind of a crushing blow, okay? So I decided to figure out what should I do. So I figured out, I'll just keep going. I mean, it seemed like God had sent this for some reason, so I'll just keep on going. And it um, took me five years to complete seminary, okay? That's working full-time, working, teaching college, and going to classes. It took me five, five years. And that, lo and behold, at the end of that time, uh, Bishop Ships retired, Bishop Laddick became the bishop, Bishop Laddick came up with this idea about ordaining priests to serve little small congregations. And so there I was, I just stepped forward and said, here am I, send me. And so he ordained me as a priest. And the first place he sent me was here, here to St. Augustine's. So I cut my teeth, my priesthood teeth in on you people. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> okay. But the issue is, you know, that God, sometimes when we hear from God, we have to decide, are we going to obey or not? Will we take a chance? And so Nicodemus was presented with a high call of God that night with Jesus. He had the opportunity to be born from above. And so therefore, you know, Jesus told him, you know, that God is God of all, okay? God so, you know, so, loved, so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world, okay, that all who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see John 3.16 everywhere. Baseball games, football games, Tim Tebow's cheeks, all these different places. But God sent his son into the world that we might have faith. Faith is what we have to answer to. Will we answer the call? It's up to us. These words I've spoken in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.